chapter twenty eight of asphodel this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org asphodel by mary elizabeth braddon chapter twenty eight love is not old as wan that it is new sir vernon's party had sailed over the smiling waters of fun with its villa dotted shores and its low amphitheatre of pastoral hills which formed the foreground to the sublimer mountain land they and all their belongings had been carried into interlaken by the funny little railway across the bodelai that fertile garden-ground between two lakes which has such an obvious air of having begun life under water they had seen the long rank of prosperous-looking omnibuses waiting for travellers and in one of those vehicles they had been carried away from the walnut-tree boulevard and all the gaiety and fashion of interlaken to a rustic road ascending the hill towards the pine woods and the mountain peaks far away beyond them piled up against the sky here at the jungfraublich they found a charming suite of rooms prepared for them rooms not gorgeously furnished or richly ornamented but with long french windows which looked upon as fair a landscape as the eye of man could desire to behold there rose the jungfrau in her sublime beauty above the fertile valley with its lakes and meadows its chalet and gardens orchards and bosquet all the simplicity and prettiness of nature on a small scale lying at the feet of the immensities it was twilight when they arrived and the first star of evening a faint luminous spot in the blue-gray hovered over the snowy pinnacle of the mountain oh you dear cried daphne to the mountain and not to the star you will be a part of my life from this night how shall i ever live without you when i go back to warwickshire you will have to console yourself with an occasional glimpse of the reckon or the cotswolds said madeline laughing i am almost sorry i ever came to switzerland murmured daphne turning away from the open window with a sigh when she had gazed and gazed as if she would fain have made herself a part of the thing she looked at why dearest asked lena because i shall be always longing to come back here i shall never be able to tolerate the eternal flatness of home mole hills instead of mountains hawk's yard is rather flat i admit said edgar apologetically but it is remarkably well drained there isn't a healthier house in england will not all their modern aestheticism their queen anne worship their straight garden walks and straight back chairs their everlasting tea-trays and japanese screens and sunflowers and dados sicken you after this mountain land cried daphne such a narrow petty childish idea of beauty 
have these perpendicular people ever seen the jungfrau do you suppose seen her and outlived her and ascended to a higher empyrean of art answered gerald you poor child do you know that you are going into raptures about things which a well-bred person would hardly deign to mention any more than a pitchley man would stoop to talk about the brighton harriers this is cockney switzerland as cockney as the trosacs or killarney as ramsgate and margate everybody knows the jungfrau at least by sight everybody has been at interlaken it is the chief rendezvous of the travellers who come in flocks and are driven from pillar to post like sheep with an intelligent interpreter playing the part of sheep-dog i hope you will do the matterhorn and monte rosa before you go home and then you will be acquainted with a brace of mountains which may be spoken about in polite society the jungfrau is good enough for me answered daphne i shall never behold anything more beautiful manfred loved her i beg your pardon that amiable gentleman did not love anything and you ye mountains he exclaims why are ye beautiful i cannot love ye he does not care for the sun nor for his fellow-men nor for his own life he is all the misanthropy of hamlet without hamlet's unselfish reasons for being misanthropic however i suppose to young ladies in their teens he will always appear an interesting character no doubt you will be starting with your alpenstock at daybreak to-morrow in search of the witch of the alps you will most likely discover her by one of the bridges on the road to grindelwald offering dirty bunches of edelweiss or indifferently fresh milk to the passers-by daphne is going nowhere without me said lena laying her hand caressingly upon her sister's shoulder she is too enthusiastic to be trusted in strange places you will not go anywhere alone will you darling i will do nothing in this world to vex you answered daphne earnestly with the straightest clearest look in her lovely eyes gerald goring heard her tone and saw that direct and truthful gaze he knew well how much that little speech meant how grave and complete was the promise in those few words yes she would be true she would be faithful were it at the cost of two broken hearts he began to perceive that he had underrated the moral force of this seemingly volatile creature physically so fragile so made up of whims and fancies yet where honour and affection were concerned so staunch later in the evening after they had dined and sir vernon had retired for the night mr goring loitered alone in the terraced garden of the hotel the mountain faintly touched with silvery light from a young moon rose in front of him and below glimmered those earlier earthlier lights which told of human life yellow candle-light in wooden chalet the flare of the gas yonder faint in the distance where the walnut-tree walk was all alive with the light of its hotels and its modest cursale 
a fitful gust of music from the band came floating up the valley behind him the hotel stood out whitely against a background of dark pine woods lights in many windows those ten lighted windows in a row on the first story belonged to sir vernon's apartments he looked up vaguely wondering which was daphne's window that one at the end of the range most likely the casement wide open to the night and the mystic mountain land while he was deciding this a white-robed figure stepped lightly out upon the balcony and stood there gazing at the far-away peaks faintly outlined against a purple sky there were three or four other loungers upon the terrace each with his cigar the luminous point of which gleamed here and there among the bushes like a glow-worm there was no reason why daphne should distinguish gerald goring from the rest as he sat in an angle of the stone balustrade half hidden in the shadow of an acacia lonely dissatisfied yet it was painful to him in his egotism to see her standing there immovable a lovely statuesque form with upturned face and clasped hands worshipping the blind dumb unresponsive goddess nature and all unconscious that he her lover with a human heart to feel and to suffer was looking up at her with passionate yearning from the dewy darkness below she does not care a jot for me she is harder than the nether millstone he said to himself savagely yet i once thought her the softest most yielding thing in creation a being so impressionable that she might be moulded by a thought of mine i feared the touching of our spirits as if i were flame and she tender yet our souls have touched and kindled and burst into a blaze and she has strength of mind to pluck herself away unscathed not a feather of her purity scorched from that fiery contact he sat in his shadowy corner lazily finishing his cigar and looking up at the figure in the balcony till it slowly melted from his gaze and a muslin curtain was dropped across the open window then he left the garden and wandered away up the wooded hillside by narrow winding paths which seemed to have no particular direction but to have been worn by the footprints of other idlers as purposeless it might be as unhappy as he he stayed in the shadowy wood for a long time smoking a second cigar and preferring that perfumed solitude and his own gloomy thoughts to any diversion which the little lighted town down in the green hollow yonder could have furnished him and then at last on the verge of midnight when all the lighted windows of the jungfraublich had gone out one after another and the big white barrack looked blank and bare he turned and groped his way back to it through the sinuous woodland paths and was admitted by a sleepy porter who was mildly reproachful at having been kept up so long a grand excursion had been planned for the next day sir vernon approving the scheme and politely requesting to be left out of it you wouldn't know what to do with me he said i should be a burden to you and i should be terribly tiresome to myself 
i have letters to write which will occupy me all the morning and in the afternoon i can stroll down to the kursale or sit in the garden here or take a little walk in the wood you will be back before nine o'clock i dare say madeline was loath to leave her father for so long a day he was an invalid and required a good deal of attention she reminded him there is jenman my dear he can do all i want of course it is much pleasanter for me to be waited on by you but jenman is very handy and will serve on a pinch but all those letters dear father urged lena looking at an alarming bundle of business-like documents could i not help you with those could not the greater part of them stand over till we are at montreux some of them might perhaps but some must be answered to-day don't worry yourself about me lena i know you have set your heart upon going up to murin with daphne i should like to show her the scenery which delighted me so years ago answered lena but i can't bear the idea of leaving you for so long my dear child you are talking nonsense said sir vernon testily in october you are going to leave me altogether yes but i shall not be leaving you in a strange hotel and i shall be so near at your beck and call always sir vernon having made up his mind to the sacrifice carried it out with consistent fortitude he himself ordered the carriage which was to carry off his beloved daughter with those other three who were comparatively indifferent to him they drove away from the hotel immediately after a seven o'clock breakfast in the clear light of morning while the fields and hedges were still dewy and the earth wore her fairest freshest colours and breathed out her sweetest odours soon after they left the village they came to the road beside the deep and rapid lutschine which cleaves the heart of the valley on either side rose a lofty wall of hills slope above slope climbing up to heaven clothed to the very summit with tall feathery firs some of stupendous size the sombre tints of these patriarchs relieved by the tender green of the young larches the white lutschine rushing on all the while a wild romantic stream tumbling and seething over masses of stone here by the river-bank they stopped to see the murder stone an inscription cut on the face of the rock which tells how at this spot a brother slew his brother it is a lovely drive so lovely that it is hardly possible for the mind to be distracted from its fairness by any other thought daphne sat silent in her corner of the carriage drinking in the beauty of the scene her gaze wandering upward and upward to those mighty hills those forests upon the edge of heaven so remote so inaccessible in their loveliness the greenery pierced every here and there by narrow streamlets that came trickling down like wandering flashes of silvery light solitude and silence were the prevailing expression of that exquisite scene the cattle had all been removed to the upper regions to remote pastures on the borderland of the everlasting snowfields of human life there were few signs only a distant chalet showing here and there perched on some ledge of the green hills the voice of the river was the one sound that broke the summer stillness there was a pleasant contrast to this solemn loneliness this silent loveliness of nature without humanity when the carriage drove jingling up to the inn at louder brunen where there was all the life and bustle of a country inn at fair time or market 
many vehicles and horses in the open space in front of the house a long veranda under which travellers were sitting resting after an early morning tramp from murren or grindelwald guides with swarthy sunburnt faces homely good-natured unintelligent sitting at ease upon a long stone parapet waiting their chances a great fuss and noise of taking horses in and bringing horses out a call for hay and water a few people strolling down the road to look at the stalbach and telling each other admiringly inspired by the prophet Bidecker, that it is the highest unbroken fall in the world it was very glorious in the morning sunshine a dim rainbow-tinted arc of spray and daphne thought of the witch of the alps and how she had worn this cloud-like fall as a garment when she showed herself to manfred there was no inn there in those far-away romantic days no odour of bad brandy and worse wine no tourists no cockneyism of any kind only the sweet pastoral valley in its lonely beauty and the solemn regions of mountain and snow rising whitely above its placid greenery and walling it in from the commonplace earth there was a halt of half an hour or so at louder brunnen just long enough to pay proper homage to the stalbach and to explore the queer little primitive village and for daphne to burden herself with a number of souvenirs all more or less of a staggy or goaty order bargaining sturdily for the same with the sunburnt proprietor of a covered stall opposite the inn whose honesty in no case demanded more than thrice the amount he was prepared to accept by the time daphne had concluded her transactions with this merchant of mountain bric-a-brac and had made herself spiky with paper knives and walking-sticks of the horny kind which treasure she reluctantly surrendered to the safe-keeping of an inn-servant to be packed in the carriage against her return the steeds were ready to convey the two ladies up the mountain path the gentlemen being bent upon going up on foot daphne wanted to walk and had just bought herself an alpen stock with that view but lena would not let her undertake the journey so she handed edgar her alpen stock and allowed herself to be hoisted into a queer kind of saddle with a railing round it and lena being similarly mounted they began the ascent going through more mud just at starting than seemed compatible with such perfect summer weather i hope edgar said daphne gravely that you won't take your idea of my horsemanship from my performance on this animal and in this saddle or else i'm afraid you'll never let me ride black pearl edgar laughingly assured her that her seat was perfection even in the railed-in saddle and that she should have the best horse money could buy or judgment secure the two young men went on before them leaping from stone to stone and making great play with their alpenstocks as they bounded across the streamlets which frequently intersected their path it was a narrow narrow way winding up the shoulder of the hill now in sunlight now in shade the summer air sweetened with the scent of the pine-trees pine-clad slopes above pine-clad slopes below sometimes gently slanting downward a green hillside which little children might play upon sometimes a sheer descent terrible to the eye chalet dotting the meadows far below villages spread out on the green sward of the valley and looking like clusters of toy houses 
the road winding through the valley like a silver ribbon the awful jungfrau range facing them as they ascended in all its unspeakable majesty grander and yet even grander as they came nearer to it sometimes as they rode through the pine trees they seemed to be riding straight into the snowy mountains they were so close so close to that white majesty then as they came suddenly into the open those airy peaks receded remote as ever melting farther and farther away as one rode after them like a never-to-be-reached fairyland i could almost cry with vexation exclaimed daphne after one of these optical illusions i thought we were close to the jungfrau and there she stands smiling down at me with her pallid enigmatical smile from the very top of the world edgar if you love me you must take me up that impertinent mountain before i am a year older you were talking yesterday of the cordilleras i know but we must finish off the alps first mont blanc and the jungfrau the schreckhorn the rothhorn the matterhorn the finsterhorn and all the rest of them i cannot be defied by the insolence of nature she has thrown a gauntlet and i must positively pick it up if the mountain won't come to mohammed and the general experience seems to show that mountains are obstinate things mohammed must go to the mountain i mean to have it out with mont blanc before i die i don't believe a lady has ever done the ascent said edgar leading his mistress's meek and patient steed along a winding ledge the animal was a mere infant rising three but as free from skittishness as if he had been rising three and twenty that shows how densely ignorant you must be of the age you live in protested daphne be sure that there is nothing in this life which the man of the present can do which the woman of the present won't imitate and the more essentially masculine the thing is the more certain she is to attempt it but i hope you don't rank yourself among masculine women daphne murmured edgar drawing protectingly near her as they turned a sharp corner i don't but i mean to ascend mont blanc they were approaching the village on the height the louder brunnen valley was sinking deeper and deeper into remoteness a mere green cleft in the mountains they had met and passed many people on their way ladies being carried down by sturdy natives in a kind of sedan chair something of the palky species voyagers struggling upwards with their belongings with a view to spending some days in the quiet settlement among the snow peaks guides jogging by with somebody else's luggage mules laden with provisions the guides gave each other a grinning good day as they passed and exchanged remarks in a patois not very easy to understand remarks that had a suggestion of being critical and not altogether commendatory of the clients at that moment under escort here we are up in the skies at last cried daphne as she sprang lightly to the ground spurning her lover's proffered aid and just brushing against the eager arms held out to receive her and oh how dreadfully far away the top of the jungfrau still is and how very dirty she looks now we are on a level with her shoulder it is too late in the year for you to see her in her virginal purity a good deal of the snow has melted said madeline apologetically but it ought not to melt i thought i was coming to a region of eternal snow why the lower peaks are horribly streaky and brown thank heaven the silver horn still looks dazzlingly white and is this murren a real mountain village how i wish we were going to live here for a month 
i fancy you would get horribly tired of it suggested gerald goring she did not stay to argue the point but ordered edgar to explore the village with her immediately the big wooden barrack of an hotel with its bright green blinds and pine balconies looked down upon her the commonplace type of an advanced civilization young men all affecting a more or less alpine clubbish air lounged about in various easy attitudes young women in every variety of hat and gauze veil read tauchnitz novels or made believe to be sketching under artistic-looking umbrellas daphne made but a cursory survey of this tourist population before she started off upon her voyage of discovery with edgar in delighted attendance on her steps madeline and gerald who both knew all that there was to be known about murren were content to loiter in the garden of the hotel des alpes dreamily contemplative of the sublimities around and about them i give you half an hour for your exploration said gerald as daphne and her swain departed if you are not back by that time lena and i will eat all the luncheon at this elevation luncheon is not a matter to be trifled with there are limits to the supplies he went to the hotel to give his orders while lena walked slowly up and down one of the terrace pathways looking at the wild chaos of glacier and rock before her looking yet seeing but little of that chilly grandeur caring but little for its origin or its history with sad eyes turned inward vaguely contemplating a vague sorrow it was not a grief of yesterday's date it was a sorrow made up of doubts and anxieties which had their beginning in gerald goring's letter telling her of his intended trip to canada from that hour to this she had perceived a gradual change in him his letters from the western world kind and affectionate as they had been were altogether different from the letters he had written to her in former years when he came back the man himself seemed different he was not less kind or less attentive less eager to gratify or to anticipate her wishes to her and in all his relations with her he was faultless but he was changed something had gone out of him life spirit soul the flame which makes the lamp glorious and beautiful something was faded and dead in him leaving the man himself a gentlemanly piece of mechanism like one of those victims to anatomical experiment from whose living body the brain or some particular portion of the brain has been abstracted and which mechanically performs and repeats the same actions with a hideous soulless monotony was it that he loved her less was it that he had ceased to love her she had asked herself recoiling with shuddering heart-sickness from the thought as if she had found herself suddenly on the verge of some horrible abyss and seen inevitable ruin and death below no she told herself judging his heart by her own a love that had grown as theirs had grown side by side with the gradual growth of mind and body a love interwoven with every memory and every hope was not of the kind to change unawares to indifference she was perfectly free from the taint of vanity but she knew that she was worthy of her lover's love she who had been her father's idol the object of respect and consideration from all about her was accustomed to the idea of being beloved she had been told too often of her beauty not to know that she was handsomer than the majority of women she knew that in mental power she was her lover's equal by birth by fortune by every attribute and quality she was fitted to be his wife to rule over his household and to be a purifying and elevating influence in his life 
his mother had loved her as warmly as it was possible for that languid nature to love anything their two lives were interwoven by the tenderest associations of the past as well as by the solemn engagement which bound them in the present no it was not possible for madeline seeing all things from the standpoint of her own calm and evenly balanced mind to imagine infidelity in a lover so long and so closely bound to her those sudden aberrations of the human mind which wreck so many lives for which no looker-on can account and which make men and women a world's wonder had never come within the range of her experience rejecting the idea of inconstancy madeline was compelled to find some other reason for the indefinable change which had slowly been revealed to her since gerald's last home-coming what could it be except the languor of ill-health or perhaps the terrible satiety of a life which had so few duties and so many indulgences a life that called for no effort of mind for not one act of self-denial every man ought to have a career she said to herself my poor gerald has none no ambition nothing to hope for or work for or build upon the new days of his life bring him nothing but old pleasures he is getting weary and worn out in the very morning of existence what will he be when the day begins to wane she had been thinking of these things for a long time and had determined upon opening her mind to her lover seriously candidly without reserve with all the outspoken freedom of one who deemed herself a part of his life his second self here in the face of these solemn heights which seem ever typical of the loftier aims of life all the more so perhaps because of that air of unattainableness which pervades them she felt as if they were more alone farther from all the sordid considerations of worldly wisdom than in the valley below she could speak to him here from her heart of hearts he was walking by her side along one of the narrow paths just where a rustic fence separated the grounds of the hotel from the steep mountain-side walking somewhat listlessly lost in a dreamy silence when she put her arm gently through his and drew a little nearer to him gerald dearest i want to talk to you seriously he turned suddenly and looked at her with more of alarm in his countenance than she had anticipated don't be frightened she said with a sweet smile i am not going to be severe i am only anxious anxious about what about you dear love about your health mental and physical you remember what you told me before you went to canada yes your trip did you good did it not worlds of good i came home a whole man but since you came home the old feeling of languor has returned has it not you take so little interest in life you look at everything with such a weary indifferent air my dearest do you expect me to go into raptures with the beaten tracks and cockney lines of switzerland as poor little daphne does there is not a yard of the ground we have been passing over that i do not know by heart that i have not seen under every condition of atmosphere and in every variety of circumstances you forget how many months of my life i wasted in balancing myself upon razor-edged arrets and hewing my way up perpendicular peaks with an ice axe i cannot gush about these dear old familiar mountains or fall into an ecstasy because the lakes are bluer and broader than our avon 
i don't expect you to be ecstatic dear i only want to know that you are happy and that you take a healthy interest in life i've been thinking lately that a man in your position ought to have a public career without public duties the life of a very rich man must inevitably be idle since all his private duties are done by other people and an idle life never yet was a happy one spoken like a copy-book my dearest answered gerald lightly well i own i have led an idle life hitherto but some of it has been rather laborious idleness as when i accomplished the passage of the rathal saddle and ascended yonder jungfrau between sunrise and sundown or when i came as near death as a man can come and yet escape it while climbing the point de larens in the french alps i want you by and by to think of another kind of labour gerald said lena with tender seriousness i want you to think of doing good to your fellow-men you who are so gifted and who have the means of carrying out every benevolent intention i want you to be useful in your generation and to win for yourself one of those great enduring names which are only won by usefulness come now my sweetest monitor there you shoot beyond the mark surely virgil and horace dante and shakespeare have won names of wider glory than all the useful men who ever lived that idea of usefulness has never had much charm for me i have not a practical mind i take after my mother who was one of the lilies of the field rather than after my father who belonged to the toilers and spinners if i had discovered in my nature any vein of the gold of poetry i would have been willing to dig hard for that immortal ore but as i can't be a poet i don't care to be anything else and with your talents and your wealth you can be content to be nothing exclaimed lena deeply shocked nothing except a tolerably indulgent landlord a patron of the fine arts on a small scale and by and by if you please your obedient husband the last words came somewhat slowly if you are happy i am content said lena with a sigh but it is because i fancy you are not happy that i urge you to lead a more active life to give yourself greater variety of thought and occupation and do you think that if i were happy the wear and fret of public life the dealing with workers whose chief object seems to be to frustrate and stultify each other's efforts to be continually balked and disappointed to have my most generous impulses ridiculed my loftiest hopes cried down as the dreams of a madman perhaps at the close of my career after i had given my days and nights my brain and body to the public cause to be denounced as an incendiary and a lunatic do you think a career of that kind would ensure happiness no love providence in its divine wisdom has allowed me to belong to the lotus-eating class let me nibble my lotus and lie at ease in my sunshiny valley and be content to let others enjoy the rapture of the fray if i could be sure that you were happy faltered lena feeling very unhappy herself ought i not to be happy when you are so good to me he asked taking her hand and pressing it tenderly with very real affection but an affection chastened by remorse i am as happy as a man can be who has inherited a natural bent to melancholy my mother was not a cheerful woman as you know this was an undeniable fact lady geraldine after having made what some people called a splendid marriage and others a mesalliance had gone through life with an air of subdued melancholy 
an elegant pensiveness which suited her languid beauty as well as the colours she chose for her gowns or the flowers she wore in her hair she had borne herself with infinite grace as one whose cup of life was tinctured with sorrow beneath the snowy calm of whose bosom the slow consuming fire of grief was working its gradual ravages she died of an altogether commonplace disease but she contrived so to bear herself in her decay that when she was dead everybody was convinced she had perished slowly of a broken heart and that she had never smiled after her marriage with mr giles goring this was society's verdict upon a woman who had lived an utterly selfish and self-indulgent life and who had spent fifteen hundred a year upon her milliner lena and gerald strolled up and down for a little while almost in silence she had said her say and nothing had come of it her disappointment was bitter for she had fancied that it needed but a few words from her to kindle the smouldering fires of ambition she had supposed that every man was ambitious however he might allow his aspirations to be choked by the thorns of this world and here she had found in the lover of her choice a man without the faintest desire to achieve greatness or to do good in his generation had he been such a man as edgar turchill she would have felt no surprise at his indifference to the wider questions of life edgar was a man born to do his duty in a narrow groove a large-hearted simple-minded creature but little removed from the peasant who tills the fields and whose desires and hopes are shut in by the narrow circle of village life but gerald goring gerald whose ardent boyhood whose passion for all the loftier delights of life had lifted him so high above the common ruck of mankind to find him at nine-and-twenty a languid pessimist willing to live a life as selfish and as useless as his mother had led before him this was indeed hard and it was harder still for madeline to discover how much she had overrated her influence upon him a few years ago a word from her had been sufficient to urge him to any effort to give bent and purpose to his mind but a few years ago he had been still warm with the flush and fire of early youth daphne and edgar joined them presently both warm and breathless after a small experiment in the climbing way we have seen everything and we have been up a mountain exclaimed daphne it is the funniest little village a handful of wooden cottages perched on a narrow track straggling along anyhow on the very edge of the hill a little new church that looks as if it had dropped from the clouds a morsel of a post-office a stack of wood beside every house and a bundle of green vegetables hanging to dry in every porch and balcony poor people do they live upon dried vegetables i wonder we found an english lady and her son sitting in the middle of the road if you can call it a road sketching a native boy he was a very handsome boy and sat as still as a statue we stood ever so long and watched the two artists and then we had a climb and edgar says i am a good climber do you think coaxingly to lena we might try the silverhorn after luncheon they lunched in a sunny airy corner of the big bare salle a manger merrily enough or with that seeming gaiety of heart which brightened so many aboard notwithstanding that the stream flows darkly enough below the ripple and the gleam daphne had made it the business of her life to seem happy and at ease ever since that fatal night at fribourg she wanted gerald goring to believe that she was satisfied with her lot nay even that she was honestly attached to her plighted husband and that her conduct that night had been but a truant impulse a momentary aberration from common sense and duty 
she was fighting her battle bravely sometimes smiling with an aching heart sometimes really succeeding in being happy with the inconsiderate unreasoning happiness of youth and health and the rapture of living in a world where all was alike new and beautiful after luncheon she went out with edgar for another ramble until it should be time to begin the descent to lauterbrunnen they had all agreed to walk down in a leisurely way after tea and the horses had already gone back with the two men who had led them up daphne wanted to learn where and how she could get nearest to the mountains it seemed provoking to see them there so near and yet as far beyond her reach as if she had been looking at them from her window at interlaken would it really be too much for an afternoon walk she asked gazing longingly at the silver horn gerald explained the preparations and the assistance and the length of time which would be required for any attempt upon that snowy crest please show me the very ledge where the child's red frock used to be seen she asked perusing the wilderness of crag and peak what child what frock asked edgar don't you know that ever so many years ago a lamergier carried off a child from this village of murren and alighted with it upon an inaccessible shelf of rock on the side of the jungfrau and that for years afterwards some red scraps the remnants of the poor baby's clothes were seen amongst the snow a pitiful story wherever you found it said gerald but i think the baby's frock would have been blown away or buried under the snow before the vulture had forgotten the flavour of the baby and then seeing that daphne hungered for any information about yonder mountain he condescended to tell her how he and a couple of friends allied by the climbing propensity rather than by ancient friendship had ascended the north face of the silver horn with the idea of finding a direct route over its summit to the top of the jungfrau how after ten hours of very hard work they had planted their feet on the top of the dazzling peak only to find the snow falling thickly round them and the jungfrau and the geisen glacier already hidden behind a fleecy cloud how after waiting in vain for the storm to pass they had made a perilous descent to the upper plateau of the geisen glacier and how there amidst thick clouds and driving snow they groped their way round the edges of huge crevasses before they hit on a practical path descending the ice-fall and how finding the night closing in upon them they were fain to sit upon a ledge of rock under a sheltering cliff till daybreak poor things exclaimed daphne with infinite compassion and you never reach the top of the jungfrau after all not by that way i have scaled her granite point from the rothfall saddle and is it very lovely up there say salon when i mounted the maiden was wrapped in cloud and there was no distant view nor could we spare more than a quarter of an hour for rest on the summit but we saw an avalanche or two on our way and altogether we had a very good time End of chapter twenty eight